Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. For every shirt that like sells like bananas for us, there's another shirt that doesn't and takes time to find its audience. But I would never, ever regret for a moment making 50 Luis Guzman shirts, right? If I go out of business championing the Luis Guzmans in this world, it will have been an honor to have served, right? Welcome back to Working. I'm your host, June Thomas. And I'm your other host, Karen Hahn. Karen, I'm so excited to chat with you. It's our first show together. <laughs> I know! But tell me, before we get any further, whose voice did we hear at the top of the show? So our subject this week is Andrew Ortiz, who is the founder of Super Yaki, a uh, independent movie merch um, site that works with artists like Blake Jones, Bailey Watro, and more. No, but it, it, just merch, movie merch, like official merch. What, what are we talking about? It is unofficial, so it's definitely made. Um, I, I say this phrase ironically because it has taken on such a different meaning in the culture. But it's quote unquote for the fans, not the critics. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Where it's like it's all it, all of the stuff that they make comes from this place of like genuine love. Um, and so the, it started with like a single enamel pin, but now they do like shirts, sweaters, hats, patches, blankets, totes, cards, mugs. They have all kinds of stuff. What do those shirts and water bottles and blankets look like? I'll shout out their recent collection, which Andrew and I talk about a little bit um, on the interview. The collection's title is uh, Use Your Powers for Good. Um, with the, It's a collaboration with the artist Eleanor Osada, and it's all stuff that's based on the film Matilda, based on the novel by Roald Dahl, if you remember. For instance, there's a tote bag that says Miss Honey's Star People and has like cute little designs, of, like sticker-esque things on it. There's an enamel pin that's like the Wormwood Motors logo. Um, they have like a shirt with another like Wormwood Motors design with like Danny DeVito's face on it. It's all stuff that kind of both sort of promotes the movie that the merch is from and also sort of makes it feel like you're in that world, you know? Mm -hmm. So what is special about them? How are they different from all the other e-commerce sites out there? I think the main thing that really stands out about them for me is their personality like Mm. i know one of the big kind of fraught issues on social media is like when brands try to get too buddy buddy we're like there's an entire meme that's like brands stop where it's like stop trying to act like you're a person because we know that you're a giant corporation um and you're not actually like our friend um but super yaki like as an independent company and as um 
a company that's, I think, pretty transparent about who they work with and who is a part of the company has somehow managed to avoid that. And everything they make really comes from the sense of like genuine love for the product rather than like trying to make a cash grab or mm. really it, it doesn't feel cynical in any way. Interesting. Now, I'm getting the impression that this is a company that you feel a connection with. Do you <laughs> have a lot of their products? If so, what attracted you to it? I do have a lot of their products. This is actually the one, the shirt that I'm wearing right now as we record is one of their products as well. It says nominate Delroy Lindo, you cowards, which they printed around <laughs> the time that the Five Bloods was um, in the awards conversation. Um, the first time I became aware of them, though, was... Almost exactly this time in 2018, I had tweeted something out about the actor Willem Dafoe and Andrew um, emailed me out of the blue and was like, hey, like, I really like your work and we have a Willem Dafoe shirt. Like, would you want one? And they <laughs> sent me one. And since then, we've collaborated a couple times. None of my designs are currently available on the site, just to be clear <laughs> from an wow. ethical standpoint. Um, but yeah, I own a lot of their shirts, not just mine, obviously. Um, and I'm a big fan of what they do. That's amazing. Okay, well, I'm really excited to hear this interview. But before we get there, I believe you have an extra segment that's just for Slate Plus members. What will they hear? I do have an extra segment, and I think it's one of my favorite parts of the interview. It's about um, finding time to kind of recharge and how to avoid burnout, not just um, from a solo perspective, but also especially with Andrew, as he's the founder of Super Yaki and has employees now, like figuring out how to balance that kind of workload um, while keeping in consideration that your work affects other people as well. Yeah, wow. Okay, that sounds amazing. Fortunately, it's incredibly easy to become a member of Slate Plus. It's just $1 for the first month and then $69 a year after that. Your membership supports Slate's journalism, which is incredibly important, but it's a great deal for you too. On many Slate podcasts like The Gabfest, The Waves and Amicus, you'll get to hear special segments like the bonus content Karen just described, but that is by no means all. You'll also get to hear ad-free versions of all Slate podcasts, unlimited reading on the Slate website, and of course, you'll be supporting this show. Woohoo! Sign up for Slate Plus at slate.com slash working plus. All right, let's hear Karen's conversation with Andrew Ortiz. This episode of Working is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love listening to in-depth interviews and discussions of craft and the creative process or whatever the heck it is all the other podcasts you listen to do, you call the shots with what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
I'm so delighted to be here talking with Andrew Ortiz of Super Yaki here on this episode of Working. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Karen. It is such a delight to be here. I'm honored. I'm flattered. I'm excited. This is the first time that we've actually spoken with air quotes face to face because this is over Zoom. Um, but we, we've emailed and DM'd and over Twitter before in the past. But it's so nice to actually speak with you about Super Yaki. Um, and I'll take it all the way back to the beginning of the company, which I understand began with just a, a single enamel pin of Hayao Miyazaki's face. Yeah. I did it with uh, with my friend Blake Jones, who um, was a local artist uh, who's since moved away to Chicago. But um, yeah, I, I reached out to him and I said, "Let's do something." Um, I'm I'm tired of tired of working for the man, um, <laughs> which you know at the time was the Alamo Draft House, so it's not really much the man. It was just you know I wanted to do something independent of someone telling me what they uh, sort of wanted, uh, which is my way of segueing into I guess the whole genesis was trying to find a career opportunity as small as a, in a, a concept that could have been um, where I didn't have to be beholden to someone else because I kind of don't, I don't, I don't like, <laughs> I don't like being told what to do by, by <laughs> managers and stuff. And, and, and uh, you know, I, I know I realize that's a character flaw in me, but you know, I no, decided not to, at all. <laughs> <laughs> I, I sort of wanted to like, thank you. I wanted to, the harness that, that, um, desire for independence and, and, you know, pour it into something that, that wasn't, you know, sort of draining you uh, from a, a nine to five kind of job, you know, you know, essentially, yeah, it started with a single pin and we got really lucky. Yeah. Um, Cause for listeners who aren't aware, you now have an actual brick and mortar storefront in Houston, which is incredible. And I, I guess I have a question that ha- kind of has two levels, which is when you were first making that pin, what was the like, did you have any expectations for success or like, was there a bar at which you were like, if it does like this, well, I'll see if I can do like another pin or a shirt. It was definitely something that I just decided, um, I'm going to make this cause it seems really fun and easy to do. Um, and I'm going to, I'd like to see where it goes, but I, I wasn't, I didn't really have any expectations outside of like, maybe I'll sell a few of these and then maybe if I can make another pin, that would be fun because I, I was very, um, concentrated on on making you know enamel pins because that was you know sort of the easiest option and the cheapest option to sort of make our own um, you know ideas come to fruition right and I think it was like maybe three hundred dollars that we spent you know putting that together um, setting up a shop we used a, a big cartel platform which I don't I don't know if it's they still offer a free uh, version of of, of their, their 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 services but. You know, early on, I will say that um, we weren't very creative in the slightest. <laughs> so we were we were very much, you know, one of the, the many, many Instagram uh, bootleg shops that would just take, you know, copyrighted, uh, you know, images and, 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 and ideas and just make a pin out of it. Right. And, and so there really wasn't any originality behind it. And well, I didn't really consider it like a, a, uh, a more serious thing um, until I remember one Thanksgiving uh, um, release that we had, where we released like five new pins at the time, right? And at, at once. And at the time, that was like the most we'd ever released at once because it was very much like a slow, gradual process where you make a pin and that in itself takes about four weeks, you know, um, because it's all made internationally. Mm-hmm. And then that comes in, you make your money back, you make a little bit more, and then you do the next pin. And so, you know, we were releasing maybe like a pin every like month at best, right? And so, one Thanksgiving break, I I, um, I planned this release to have like five things all at once. And, and we released five pins, which at the time was like the biggest 
yeah. feat that we had ever accomplished. And um, and they all sold pretty well. And then suddenly I'm looking at like, you know, my PayPal account. It's like, you have $1,000 in there. Like, mm-hmm. this is crazy. Like, this is the most <laughs> money you've ever seen, like, at once, like, in the shop. Because, you know, it always been like, you make $500 and you spend, you know, $500, you know, on the next, mm-hmm. you know, two pins. And so having that all at once, like, it sort of did click something in my head that made me realize, you know, if you take this seriously enough, you might be able to, you know, like, make more than what you originally um, considered would be feasible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, about two years in is when we decided like, let's try something else. You know, we've been making pins and they're doing okay, but you know, the, the production time is slow. Um, there's only so much you can really, you know, do with pins anyways. And, and so it would be more fun to, to, you know, take a leap into apparel. Mm-hmm. And we did, um, it was exciting because it's, it's where we are now, predominantly apparel. Yeah. Um, you say we, was that still you and Blake Jones or did you have someone else on the team at that point besides him? Yeah, it's uh, your Blake's always been like the creative arm, and that I, I I would you know say to him like, hey, what if we did this? And I, I'd come up with the, like an idea or a concept, uh, mm-hmm. and he'd be like, you got it. And then we'd just bounce ideas back and forth. And and he's always been um, you know obviously the artist there. My, my graphic design skills are just like so like rudimentary and basic, and <laughs> I I can only get by so far right with some of the stuff that, that I'm capable of doing. So you know, as his career continued to blossom, like as an artist. You know, he still managed to, to, you know, schedule some time to, like, you know, help me out with, with some dumb ideas here and there. So, yeah, I guess at that point, it, it was predominantly just, like, you know, me running the show out of, like, the closet, right? <laughs> like, there really wasn't that much there. Yeah, um, I, I remember... Um for a while, uh, sometimes like when like the Super Yaki account would like tweet out like, here's what we're up to today. It, it was like a full room of your house, which seems both like exciting and stressful at the same time. I was fortunate to be in a position that, you know, we could grow and accommodate that growth like within the home because I know that mm-hmm. that's that's a huge hurdle for a lot of people. And it's why a lot of people um, sort of opt for print on demand or fulfillment services so that they don't have to warehouse that stuff in, in their own home. But yeah. for me, I've that, I mean, that's sort of like where I feel like I've always excelled is is like um, the production side and the, um, the logistical nature of like running a fulfillment center. That's the part that I feel like gets my motor running, right? And um, I didn't want to be that kind of shop where someone buys something and then six weeks later, you're like, whatever happened to this like shirt that I bought, right? Mm-hmm. I wanted to be on top of it and, and fast and, and have like a, a good you know, experience with, with, with audiences um, and just make sure that they you know, would want to come back and you know, support us again, so... Yeah. Um, and speaking of fulfillment, you mentioned that the first time that you, you like made a pin and put it out in the world, it was through Big Cartel. At what point did you move from using that kind of site or fulfillment service to basically doing it yourself? So I, I'd always done it myself. Um, Big Cartel was sort of like the platform I was using at the time to sort of host the products and, and process all the sales gotcha. and stuff. And um, after a while, that sort of did have its shortcomings because as we started to introduce different, you know, product lines and SKUs and stuff like it, it we had to move into something that was a lot more diverse and had a, a much more ro- robust back end which is when we moved over to Shopify and mm-hmm. Shopify is not paying me to say this but I will say that <laughs> Shopify is just like just the best just absolutely like the best um just continuously adding new features to the site and making the their 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 back end so much more like user friendly mm-hmm. making that leap i know was sort of like a milestone in, in in our in our time because suddenly we went from this like free platform to here's you know shopify that costs you 
you know, 60 bucks a month or something like that. And at that time, it's like, oh, man, 60 bucks a month. That's like, <laughs> you know, that's like 10 pins, right? Yeah. And, and so, you know, when we made that leap, it, it, it definitely helped because uh, we sort of had to, A, justify like the price tag and B, um, we had that opportunity to really diversify um, everything without it being such a headache on, you know, shipping and, and, and managing. So mm-hmm. it was cool. And what you've done with the shop is also so impressive to me just because I know literally nothing about the logistics that would go into running a shop like this. For instance, like I know that Supriyaki works with Night Owls Print in Houston to get the designs on the shirts. Um, I'm curious how you established the relationship with them um, as well. Uh, Night Owls is run by a husband and wife duo uh, here in Houston, and um, it's Eric and Val Solomon. Um, Shout out to Night Owls because they're just the greatest yeah. at what they do. And I, I love them very much. Uh, and it's always been really neat to see how we've both grown, like, you know, sort of side by side. I mean, they've, mm-hmm. they've grown at an exponential level. Like, they're, they're huge. They have a massive warehouse, state-of-the-art, like, printing equipment. Um, it's just unbelievable. They, they move from from printing in their, their parents' garage to, you know, their own little, like, tiny warehouse to this, like, huge industrial, like, warehouse that they have now with, like, over 30 employees. Mm-hmm. It's remarkable to, to see them, like, grow at that level. And um, I feel like I've been uh, the benefactor of, of their, you know, accelerated speed because they've always sort of used me as, like, a guinea pig for new new printing <laughs> techniques. And, and, uh-huh. and so it's been, they'll email me and they're like, hey, we can do this now. Do you want to try it? And I'd, like, I'm just like, sure, why not? Let's go yeah. for it. Like, what's the worst that can happen, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I'll recommend them too. I do own several Supiragi shirts and none of the designs have ever like cracked or faded since I've had them. Um, when did you like first hire someone else to help with you? Because I know now um, that you have an actual storefront, you have a few people working at the Supiragi HQ, but I, I, under- I know that they were also working with you before the, the leap happened as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that that's probably been um, I think the thing I'm proudest of is being able to hire my friends, my talented friends, to to help out, and and that we can we've been able to stay afloat, and that they've been able to make a living, you know, through this through the shop. You know, mm-hmm. I guess to answer your question, um, Brittany Brittany Tuttle, who is our, our social media guru director, sort of like you mm-hmm. know the one who who takes over social media when I just can't keep up with it anymore because. You know, before I asked her to come on board and help us out, it very much was just me like doing everything. And it did get to a point where it was like, I can't answer all these questions and comments and direct messages because I want to. Right. It's 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 crucial to me that like every comment, every every direct message, you know, everything gets like filtered. Right. Like and gets seen because I didn't want to just like separate us from from people's like thoughts right Mm -hmm. so Brittany has come in and she's just been like you know a wonderful addition I guess technically she was the first person to come in and and help out like on a on an official basis um Mm -hmm. at the time it was just like a a, a contracting work right where she would just put in a few hours a week and and sort of just help me clear our inbox and go from there um then we were lucky to have our our, my friends Cass and Tessa uh who are sort of the photo department of Super Yaki, um, model and take photos and edit and everything. Um, but moving from my house where we ran like the operations to this actual like office space, you know, it's small, it's a 900 foot office space that warehouses everything. We take photos in here, you know, we run all our operations from here. Mm-hmm. To go from the house over here, I knew that I was going to need more permanent help, right? And so for me, I think a, a huge point of pride for me is being able to um, have 
you know, provided a full-time job, career, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, to Aide, Aide Alfaro, who is, you know, our fulfillment manager and sort of just like keeps everything afloat, does like so much here in the store um, and, uh, you know, putting my faith in, in her abilities uh, and, and in the abilities of, of other friends. Like uh, we just hired pretty recently a friend of mine named Julia Wynn uh, to do customer service exclusively and also, mm-hmm. you know, help in other areas. Um, she's come in and she's been a huge, huge help as well. Like, it's great. It's wonderful. I, I'm, I'm, I'm so fortunate that we get like such, such great people that I can depend on. And I do not take lightly the fact that like they are now like all in and invested in sort of like, you know, um, depend on this shop for their, their existence. So mm-hmm. I could never forget that. Uh, and, and, and for me, it's like all the more reason to, to continue, you know, growing and pushing ourselves and, and trying new things and, and making sure that these guys get an opportunity to grow and, um, you know, develop mm-hmm. with the shop too. I think the success and the reach of Subiaki has been so incredible to watch, especially like the people that you make the shirts about have in multiple cases seen the shirt or own a copy of it, which I think is it even for me as an onlooker is like mind blowing. So I can't imagine how that is for you. Oh, it's like it's a rush. It's a thrill. It's it's remarkable, um, especially when they don't follow it up with like legal action. You know, that's that's always like. <laughs> That's that's always nice when they, they don't send us a cease and desist, right? Has um, that happened before? Uh, yeah, we, we have had a cease and desist before. Oh, my you know, gosh. Uh, and that's okay. You know, we, we figure it's going to happen, right? Yeah. Um, and, and that's everyone has been really polite about it. So we're not, you know, we're not splitting hairs over it. But yeah. um, knowing that we have like this minuscule platform and knowing that we have an opportunity to, you know, um, celebrate people who might not be as, you know, in the limelight as, you know, some other, you know, um, big stars might be, right? Um, we're trying to be a champion of, of like the underdogs, right? And and I think that's really at its core, um, like who I am, right? I, I very much feel like not necessarily, you know, uh, like I am an underdog uh, to say, but like, I guess my experience is that of like an underdog, right? I come from uh, immigrant parents who who came here when they were really young um, and just immersed themselves in, you know, U.S. culture and pass that down on the me, right? Like um, every weekend we would just like go to the dollar movies, you know, because my dad refused to pay full price for like a brand new movie, right? And uh, watching these movies and 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 experiencing them uh, from the perspective of like a kid who was enjoying this stuff um, very much for the first time alongside with their parents, right? Mm-hmm was uh, sort of like deeply embedded in the me and and um, I, I don't I don't forget at any point who I am and I think my experience is um, not to say that it is um, you know um, what makes the shop but it's definitely within the fibers of everything that super yaki is right and mm-hmm. um, sort of um, you know being 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 this like voice for you know, the, the sillier side of like movies, right? Like the, the lighter side, you know, the underdogs, like the, the fun stuff, you know? And I think, um, you know, um, I hope we're threading that needle. I, I don't know if we are necessarily, but I think, um, I think maybe, uh, maybe we've gotten the messaging across. I'm not sure if, if people, you know, catch on to what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. We'll be back with more of Karen's conversation with Andrew Ortiz.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. One of the things we'd love to do with the show is help solve your creative problems, whether it's a question about preparation, about scheduling, about how to avoid burnout, anything at all, send them to us at workingatslate.com or give us a ring at 304-933-WORK. And if you're enjoying this episode, don't forget to subscribe to Working wherever you get your podcasts. Now let's return to Karen's conversation with Andrew Ortiz. You just launched, I believe, this, the morning of our recording, a new collection, which is so exciting, and congratulations. Thank um, you. But just for the listeners and for me, again, have no idea how any of the Super Yaki stuff works, and I'm so impressed and awed by it. Can you walk us through sort of a, a timeline of putting a collection together? Like when, what is the kickoff? Like how long does it take to make sure you have everything ready? Mm-hmm. Um, like how long does the ideas process take? Just walk us through your latest collection and please do promo it as much as you want to because that's sure, why yeah. you're on the show. Yeah. Um, yeah, superyaki.com, new collection. Mm-hmm. Um, go buy something, please. So <laughs> we can continue to be here. Um, so, uh We've been really lucky uh, in that really talented people have reached out to us and and wanted to work with us. And so first and foremost, if someone reaches out to us and they want to work on a collaboration together, uh, the one thing I always ask myself is that, is this coming from someone that that we have never heard of before or that we've heard an abundance of, you know? And so to be as blunt as possible, um, you know, movie, you know, criticism, fandom, appreciation or whatever, it tends to be a very um, one-dimensional figure, which is, you know, a a white male audience, right? And so when we have people reach out to us, you know, I think no matter how talented or how, you know, uh, great the idea might be, I have to make sure that we are getting submissions and getting ideas from people that I don't really hear from that frequently in this this world, right? Mm -hmm. And so with that said, when people reach out to us, you know, and, and if we like their artwork, they usually submit like a few like, you know, a concepts or whatever. I always ask them, like, where do you want to go? Like, what do you want to see? What's what's like your like, I hate to use the word guilty pleasure, but what's your what's the movie that, that you feel like you just love unabashedly that, you know, might not see that much, you know, love for. Right. And so, you know, when people reach out to us, they'll say like, oh, I really want to do, you know, this collection or this collection. It's like, well, which one's the one that you think is going to be nicher, right? Like, mm-hmm. which one's going to be the one that's tougher to do? And so uh, we go with that because I think that's very much within um, our style, which is like celebrating the the smaller, more, you know, um, uh, less represented uh, um, 
movies, right? Yeah. And then, you know, I sort of like let them loose. I say, okay, great, let's do this. Um, case in point, uh, when, we, when we worked recently um, with Courtney Lesore, um, she, you know, approached us with a couple of different like ideas for, for collections to build around. And uh, Grease 2 stood out to me because it was like, <laughs> I can't remember the last time I saw like a Grease 2 anything, right? Like there's plenty of like Grease merchandise, but Grease 2 feels like this sort of like, you know, um, castaway, like the, the, the neglected stepchild kind of thing, right? And, and I said, what if we built a collection around Grease 2? And, uh, and she was super into it. And, um, and so I said, okay, great. You know, like at this point, you know, you're sort of free to like um, design whatever you want. If you want to put some concepts together and then we can work together to get the, the, the best foot forward with these ideas. Mm-hmm. And it's never my place to, to dictate like the artwork, right? All I, all I do is just try and, and make suggestions that, that could help um, with the production side of things, right? Mm-hmm. Like if, if a design's a little too, you know, complex, it's like, you know, this is beautiful artwork. I would buy this as a print. However, printing it on a shirt might, might make it, you know, astronomically like, you know, expensive to produce. Yeah. So what can we do here, you know, that, that doesn't infringe on your like creative vision, right? Mm-hmm. And so I very much try to be as malleable and as helpful as, poss- uh, uh, as possible throughout that process. Um, and where I feel I excel um, is when we have the artwork completed and then we can think about, okay, what are we going to put this on? What, what are the blanks that you want to use? Do you have any ideas in mind? I always ask people like, what's your wish list? What's your fantasy wish list of like what you'd like to see your stuff on, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, more often than not, people are totally happy with just like shirts and sweatshirts and stuff. But every now and then you get like a, you know, um, sort of like a crazy idea, like let's do a blanket like, or let's mm-hmm. do, you know, uh, these, let's do this on a mug, which, you know, isn't that crazy within itself. But like, <laughs> you know, it, it's fun to like, to, to, to have their, um, their blessing to, to, you know, try these new things out. Um, and from there, you know, it takes a while to produce everything. So we're very much in the throes of a collection for like months, right? Mm -hmm. Um, this, this collection that we just released this morning, um, uh, it's called the use your powers collection. It's all inspired by, you know, Dana DeVito's, you know, masterpiece Matilda. Um, that, that one we've been like chipping away at for, I want to say at least, you know, three to four months now. So, Mm -hmm. You know, when Eleanor, uh, the, the artist behind it, uh, reached out to us, um, we, we worked in tandem to, to create all, the, or she created everything, but we worked in tandem to pick out all the right stuff yeah. for this, right? Um, I'm also curious if you can talk a little bit about, um, I guess, the ID generations process, where it's like, at what point do you look at a design and think, yes, that's what is going to really sing on a shirt? Or how do you know that something is what you want to produce? Man, you just got to be online. You just got to be <laughs> online, online, online. And it's a it's blessing like, and a curse. It's a blessing and a curse because, you know, who wants to spend that much time on Twitter or Instagram, right? Like, But you you definitely have to, like, tap into, like, the public consciousness of, like, what are people talking about? What what are people excited about? And picking and choosing um, the the sort of campaigns that, that resonate with us and, and fit our um, – our MO, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's t- certainly things that we can get behind. And then there's other things that we're like, I don't know if that really works with us. So we're not going to really touch this subject. Um, but more than anything, it's just like, if, is it fun, right? Is it fun? Is it, is it silly? That Does it seem like it's in good spirit, right? Like, can we, can we run away with this? But yeah, yeah so um, I guess that's it. 
And I guess I'm, I'm curious about the window or scope or topics that you choose as well, because I feel like, for example, if I walked into a paper source or a Hallmark store, the like the card, the movie themes cards that I'm going to see are probably like Tom Hanks or like a Wilson joke or something kind of more mainstream in that re- regard. Um, I don't think it's that you're necessarily avoiding those things, but it does seem like you're cultivating um, a more niche to echo a word that you've used to describe your own product lines, um, a more niche or more um, cinephile audience. Yeah, I think um, there's, we we do have a lot of people asking for certain things constantly, right? And and we we sort of like, again, we filter all these suggestions and, 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 you know, we stay online and we try and, and, and field out, you know, the good ideas that feel authentic to us and the bad ideas that feel like, hey, this will just make us like money or whatever. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a hard line to walk because we need to make money. So stuff needs to sell. Otherwise, you know, who, who's going to like, you know, carry your Wallace Shawn shirts, right? Like you, you have to have like, <laughs> I'm just um, gesturing emphatically <laughs> at myself being like me, I will, I will carry yeah. the Wallace Shawn shirts. Okay. All right. So duly noted next month, it's the Wallace <laughs> Shawn collection, but no, you, you definitely have to like, you know, you, it, it, it is th- th- for every shirt that like sells like bananas for us. There's mm-hmm. another shirt that doesn't and takes time to find its audience. Mm-hmm. But I would never, ever regret for a moment making 50 Luis Guzman shirts. Right. Like, yeah, that's, just, that's I would do that again and again and again. And if if I go out of business, if we go out of business championing the Luis Guzmans in this world. That It will have been an honor to have mm-hmm. served. Right. But I think, you know, you definitely have to straddle the line between, you know, uh, something that that is going to have like an audience, it's going to have a market and also something that feels authentically like niche and and, like the right like scope with with your with with again with our MO. So I don't know, um, like like you were saying earlier, you know, there's there's certain uh, properties or or celebrities or, or people that are just like really oversaturated in like you know, memes and, and, and shirts and, 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 you know, just representation in general. Right. Um, and as much as I think I would love to, to find like the angle for, for that specific thing. Um, sometimes it's just best if we were like, you know what, maybe that's not for us, but if we Mm -hmm. do dip into something that's like, um, like a bigger property or a bigger like concept, um, we have to find the right angle for it. Right. We have to find the super yaki perspective, whatever that may be, for this like big tentpole movie or whatever, right? Um, so you've mentioned um, at least once that you've run or been at least aware of while you're making these products of the issue of like using copyrighted images um, in your work. And I feel like the bigger the company has become, the more that you have managed to get away from it, especially as you've worked with artists um, to make these products. But I, I, I guess I just don't know like what you have to keep in mind when you are trying to do things like this, like what is and isn't allowed and how how much do you have to think about that when putting out new products? So early on, we just never thought about it. And that mm-hmm. was pretty naive uh, on our end. And we would just <laughs> put together whatever we wanted to because uh, it was fun. And I think there's still a, a bevy of, of online, you know, bootleggers, like that community is very um, vibrant on Instagram. Um, and... For us now, with with a few cease and desists on under our belt, I think we're much more conscious of it now, and we want to, you know, obviously avoid um, not just, you know, potential like you know legal issues, mm-hmm. but we want to avoid 
you know, being the kind of company that, and I know I'm going to get crucified for this, but we don't want to reach for like low hanging fruit, right? Like it, it's, mm-hmm. it's really easy to just take an image, slap it on a shirt and put something underneath it, right? I know it's easy because we did it for a long time and I'm not <laughs> super proud of, of, of uh, some of the stuff that we done, but like, you know, it's, it's, um, we, we want to make more uh, uh, art that like comes um, that's original from from mm-hmm. from creatives, right? And I, I'm I'm aware that there is going to be that boundary that we're going to push up against, especially like you said, as we continue to grow a little bit bigger and more eyes are upon us. We've been really fortunate that we've had more and more opportunities to work in tandem with like official partners. Um, who either own the licensing rights or are behind, you know, certain things um, and sort of like, you know, maybe uh, hush, hush, wink, wink, sanction it, but also don't. Um, <laughs> but it, it's it's definitely like, you know, phase three for us, right, where we're going to start having to have this conversation more and more frequently and figure out um, what is and isn't, you know, hundred percent cool with, right. with some of these guys, right? Um, and so, yeah, it's it's tricky, you know, because you you, you sort of don't want to give up that like that punk rock ethos, right? Of like mm-hmm. DIY, you just go for it, right? And working in tandem with companies, you know, might result in like, hey, here's a Adam's Family animated, you know, sequel like line that we're doing, right? And I I don't I don't want to do that, right? Like. <laughs> I don't want to sell my soul just so I can like yeah. get, you know, the approval of, of right. the right people. But yeah, um, kind of on the inverse side of that, another problem that you've been facing as the company has become more visible is the fact that whenever you put out like, here's what we're here's what's coming up soon. Here's a preview of what we're doing. You've had like robot accounts like respond and being like, here's the cheaper, worse version of copy that we made that you can buy on Redbubble or whatever. When did this start? And also, how do you deal with it? You know, uh, I, I love those guys. Those bots <laughs> are like, I, I, I don't have a lot of friends, but I have those bots and those bots <laughs> will just, they will carry me, you know, for a long time. Um, <laughs> But I, I, I know how it happens, right? If we post something and someone comments, I want that shirt, those bots are on oh. it. They, they see shirt and they see the design and then they throw it onto a blank. And, and, and um, like the other day we posted this like shirt, just like a, a snippet of the shirt, right? It wasn't like the full text. Yeah. And they took half the text from that shirt and they put it on a full shirt. So it what? says, Rit and Paul you know, tea. And it's like, oh my what, God. Is that even, like, what does that even like mean? Right. So, you know, and those, the, for those bots, like I'm not too worried about them. Like, I, does it cut into our sales? Like, yeah, but I think we've established ourselves, um, as like authentic, you know, um, goofballs, right. That like, <laughs> you know, we can, we can spot the difference between like the real and the fake. And I think mm-hmm. the, the best, you know, example for this is that, um, not too long ago, we developed that, um, very, brilliant idea of a bumper sticker that just said honk if you'd rather be watching the cinematic masterpiece the mummy you know yada 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 um and that for whatever reason you know i love the mummy but that one just like blew up and 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 hit a little viral fame on on several um, Mm -hmm. instagram accounts that just you know post memes and stuff and we were hit with like tons of uh of knockoffs who who just wanted to capitalize on that yeah um and I, above all else, I'm petty, and we found <laughs> we found one of the uh, the the small businesses on Etsy who are knocking this off, uh. 
And we politely asked them several times, like, can you please stop making yeah. this? Because we make this and you're selling a bunch of these on Etsy and it's not even good because you like you don't have like the grammar correct in here, right? Um, and and they sort of like ignored us. And so in turn, I decided I'm going to open up an Etsy shop. I'm only going to sell this sticker. <laughs> I'm going to call it the original mommy bumper sticker and I'm going to sell it for less money than what this seller is selling it for, right? <laughs> And so I just, my only intention was to undercut their sales so that, you know, I mean, they weren't being polite about it. So I had to be petty. And yeah, um, yeah it's, uh, it, it, it happens. But like I said, I think people can, can spot the difference. At least I hope so. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us here at Working. It was so lovely to talk with you about the ins and outs of Supriyaki. Karen, my friend, it has been nothing short of a delight. Thank you so much. Raise your hand if you are burnt out. If email is something that gives you like a shiver in your spine. You are not alone. I'm Shirley Leung, host of Say More from the Boston Globe. Our new series is Beating Burnout. We'll hear from Cal Newport, Krista Tibbet, and more. We'll talk about breaking bad habits and forming new ones. The cure for burnout is all of us caring for each other. Say more from the Boston Globe. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Slate listeners. I'm Christina Cotarucci, the host of Slow Burn, Gaze Against Briggs. I want to tell you about a special event we're doing at the Tribeca Film Festival in New York City on June 13th. To celebrate this new season of Slow Burn and Pride Month, we're hosting an exclusive live taping of the show with special guests, including civil rights activist and Black Lives Matter organizer DeRay McKesson, comedian and singer Esther Fallick, Eric Marcus, the host of Making Gay History, and Sam Fader, director of the Netflix documentary Disclosure, about the depiction of trans people in film and television. We'll dive deeper into this season and talk about the lasting impact of the Briggs Initiative and the continued fight over LGBTQ rights in schools. It'll be the perfect way to celebrate Pride Month this June with LGBTQ stories and voices across generations. Again, that's June 13th at the Tribeca Film Festival in New York. You can get tickets now at TribecaFilm.com slash slowburn. Hope to see you there. Karen, I love that conversation. For one thing, it's really interesting to think about creativity in a business context. And it was a great reminder that running a business, especially one that you start from scratch in your own closet, is very much a creative process. Have you ever parlayed your creativity into entrepreneurial ventures? That's such a good question. And one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to Andrew about this was because I... The idea of starting a business is so daunting because I don't think you traditionally think about that as being a creative enterprise. Like it feels a lot more cut and dry. But the fact of the matter is that it actually is very difficult and a creative process in and of itself. Um, I've definitely not done anything this involved. I mean, the, the closest I would say I've ever come is my road to becoming a film critic, probably, because that was not my original job. Like once I graduated from college. Um, for a little while, I had a day job that was unrelated to film at all. And when I got home from work, that's when I would like write about film mm -hmm. and like upload it to my personal blog and eventually managed to grow that into becoming a professional critic. Wow. Otherwise, I've done a little bit of like 
designing merch, which I would say is maybe like a step down from starting my own entrepreneurial venture. Like I've um, designed merch for my uh, writing partner, as well as like a few super yucky shirts, for instance. But that's more someone coming to you to ask you to do something rather than me thinking I can turn this into a business. I had not heard of super yucky until, you know, minutes ago. But (laughs) hearing Andrew talk about the company, I can tell that it's a labor of love and you know which is a cliche but I think we all know what that means and also that he has a very specific attitude to business and to the universe of movies and tv shows that a certain group of people are really into and he is also clearly one of those people Mm -hmm. it sounds like it's a vibe as much as it's a business plan I definitely think that's true. Um, Like this plays a little bit into what we were talking about earlier with brand presence on social media, where I think there's no company, whether big or small, that doesn't want to create the illusion of being friendly with the consumers (laughs) that they're trying to court, which is the same for like even a job where like if your boss says, we're all a family here, it's like, no, (laughs) we're not. Um, But it's a little bit different from this angle, I think, because like I'm not working for Super Yaki. Like I'm not no. working from the, for the companies that I'm buying for from rather. Um, but Super Yaki in particular feels like I feel like they have a much more feet on the ground approach. Like they're much more aware of what is or isn't in the mainstream conversation. Like Andrew mentions, like they tend to try to focus on movies that aren't necessarily really mainstream. Like they have made some Star Wars shirts before, but by vast majority, the stuff that they tend to grab onto is stuff that like if someone mentioned this movie to you, you'd be like, oh yeah, I love that movie. Like Matilda, for instance, mm-hmm. or like The Mummy, where everyone loves that movie, but we tend not to think about it that much in our day-to-day, just because it's been a while since we last saw it. It's been a while since that movie came out. Um, But putting the people, I think, before product is kind of what I think that they're very good at and what Mm. makes the company uh, vibe so well. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. On Working, we often talk about how decisions you make early in a creative project have a really strong effect on the final shape of the book or the movie or whatever it is that you're working on. And it was clear that there was a point where Super Yucky was moving out of Andrew's home, that the company could have taken a really different turn. But he had a clear vision that he wanted to hold on to. And it's really important to have a sense of mission. Whatever you're working on, really, whether it's a podcast, a a personal project that you're doing, are you the kind of writer who draws up a mission statement for a writing project or negotiates shared values before you collaborate with someone? As far as solo projects go, so if I'm just working on something by myself, I definitely have to kind of draw up a sort of mission statement. Like, I don't think I'll ever write a mission statement down, but I know I have to have a central idea that I'm trying to work towards or at um, in order to get something done. Um, As far as team or group projects go, I definitely do try to negotiate sort of, but I I would say it's it's less serious than the word negotiation makes it sound. the way that I think about it is it's very much like trying to start a Dungeons and Dragons campaign, you know, where it's like everyone sort of has to be on the same page about what the tone is because there's some players who prefer to play like very serious epic fantasy. There's some players who are just there to like make jokes and stuff. And you, ha- everyone has to be on the same page. You have to figure out how your characters all jive together. And it's the same with any project, even if it is totally removed from any fantasy world. Karen, that is 
the most spectacular deployment of <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons that I've ever heard. Congratulations. Amazing. Thank you. Amazing. I have to admit that my mind was totally blown when Andrew talked about how he read and he tried to respond to every bit of feedback mm-hmm. that the company received. Even though, as he said, he has handed off some of that responsibility to another team member. But it just feels overwhelming. At the same time, you kind of have to interact with customers and potential Mm -hmm. customers if your business relies heavily on a sense of community. Yeah. So we tend not to have that kind of interaction with readers in journalism anymore, at least on the kind of print side of things. It doesn't feel productive to engage with a lot of the comments or the tweets or the DMs. They can be pretty toxic. Um, That's something that's changed. Do you crave more interaction with readers or listeners? That's a tough question because I do feel like my overarching philosophy is like, don't read the comments. There's no reason to. Most of them are usually bad. Mm. Um, And in some of the places that I worked previously to Slate, like my editor would forward me just like the good comments or things that he found like helpful or good. Um, But at the same time, I think it's so hard, especially right now, to log off forever. Like, I know that one of the common complaints among my peer group in journalism is that, well, really any creative medium, is that it's hard to log off because this is the main way, the main outlet that you have power over where you can promote your own work and try to grow an audience. And I've been at workplaces where they've pretty clearly said, like, unless you have a large online following, like, we will not like give you a raise or we won't kind of treat you the same way, which is insane. Um, It's like a bad feedback loop in that sense. But at the same time, I've met so many people that I admire tremendously and have become such good friends of mine because of the online space, because that's, it makes accessing people so much easier. So there's really a blessing and a curse aspect to that. Um, And with something like a brand or with um, trying to build a journalism brand, I guess, like there is some element of whether or not you're going to engage with parasocial relationships. Like that word is definitely played out at this point, but the principle of it (laughs) still stands where it's like you have to engage a certain amount in order to grow the community. But Engaging too much can mm. be bad for your mental health yeah, and yeah. bad for how much the people who engage with your work feel they're entitled to your time um, and uh, opinion. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, though, when you asked Andrew about how he knows whether or not to greenlight ideas, he gave an amazing answer. He said, you just have to be online, <laughs> which, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, talk about... a an immense and intense spigot to be, you know, drinking from. Yeah. It seems, again, overwhelming. But then again, anybody making gatekeeping decisions has to do research. You know, there's there's no point in writing a book if someone else has tackled the exact same subject. There's no point mm-hmm. in publishing the 14th magazine piece on a topic. You have to know your audience and you have to know what's already on the market. So you just have to be online, right? 
Yeah, that's definitely true. And I think one of the advantages that Super Yaki has in this field is the fact that official movie merch tends to be pretty limited or not that imaginative um, in their designs, which is where Super Yaki really excels. Like all the designs that they do are really cute or like splashy in some way, whether it's playing with a font or having an artist um, illustrate something like really cute for the shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, they... Like, you're not going to find that if you go to whatever, NBC.com or HBO's, like, <laughs> Game of Thrones gallery. Right. Where there's such a big market for this stuff, and yet the actual studios have not tapped into it. So there's there's a really big hole that they're filling, I think. Yeah, yeah. I was really fascinated by your questions about how Super Yaki has evolved over the years and how it's received what could be seen as the ultimate compliment, albeit one that's incredibly annoying, of being ripped (laughs) off. And not just ripped off, but ripped off by bots. Yeah. So, Karen, what would a bot create based on the things you tweet about? Um, there's a bit that I'm sort of known for. I don't think anymore because I don't tweet about it as much just because I, my platform has grown and I feel embarrassed (laughs) about it. But there was a thing called, there is a thing called Karen's Boys where it's just like my obsession with generally 45 plus year old character actors and how I have a giant crush on all of them. Probably something like that. Like it it wasn't, I, it wasn't part of like a malicious bot, but there was a bot a while ago that was like, just random film Twitter tweets. Basically, it was just auto-generating like film Twitter quote-unquote things, wow. and sometimes Karen's voice like would pop up in that, which was pretty <laughs> funny. <laughs> what about you? What would you get behind? Oh my for, goodness! As my frequency of tweeting has declined, like mm-hmm. I think I, I really kind of came of tweet, so to speak. Like at that <laughs> time when we would all be like live tweeting, sort of network right. shows as they aired, which just seems unthinkable at this point. Like that must have happened in about 1980, right? No, it was about three <laughs> years ago, but you know, whatever. Um, and so since then, obviously, I don't tweet as much, but um, or as frequently. And I think now probably most of the things I complain about are like the way that British shows, um, even shows that are based in and created by people from Northern England portray people from Northern England. So I think oh. that might be that might be the thing that that bots would 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 uh, that's a ret- funny bot <laughs> would retweet and probably make absolutely no sense of because I think they probably don't make sense to anybody but me anyway. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think they're comprehensible by bots. Maybe that's that's like the best kind of bot though, because I yes. feel like the stuff that goes the most viral is stuff that's like almost comprehensible word salad. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. No. Okay. <laughs> well, we hope you've enjoyed our almost comprehensible word salad this week. <laughs> if you have enjoyed the show, remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and that way you'll never miss an episode. And please consider subscribing to Slate Plus. It's only one dollar for the first month, and you'll get ad-free podcast listening full access to all the articles on Slate.com and exclusive members-only segments on many Slate podcasts. To learn more, go to Slate.com slash Working Plus. Thank you so much to Andrew Ortiz of Super Yaki. That's S-U-P-E-R-Y-A-K-I if you're interested in looking them up. And to our fabulous producer, Cameron Drews. We'll be back next week with a conversation between Isaac Butler and Academy Award-nominated sound editor and mixer Eileen Lee. Until then, get back to work. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes 
ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.